Good morning, brothers and sisters. If you would please turn your Bibles to Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, and chapter 31. It's the last chapter in the book of Proverbs, chapter 31. And uh, while you turn there, I just want to say so glad to be back with you all. I was away for a week. Uh, with my family, uh, just to get some refreshment. It was a really encouraging time. I got to attend uh, Grace Evangelical Church of Sharjah. Uh, you can pray for them as they're still seeking from the land, uh, from the government to give land uh, in Sharjah. And they're meeting right now in Ras al-Khaimah because of the COVID restrictions. But it was a warm and encouraging time of fellowship with those dear saints. And uh, yeah, thank you for your prayers for me. I, I came back feeling very encouraged and refreshed this week and very joyful to be with you all again this morning. Proverbs chapter 31. And I have a question for you as we begin this morning. It might be a surprising question. Who is your favorite superhero? Maybe some of you, like me, are big fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so maybe your favorite superhero is Spider-Man, I know some of you are probably excited, uh, the young guys, especially with the new Spider-Man trailer that's out, the new movie coming next month, I think. Uh, maybe your favorite superhero is Thor, you know, or, you know, I, I, my confession, my favorite, is, I'm old school, my favorite superhero is Iron Man, because, you know, he's smart, and he uses his brain to solve problems, and uh, I really like the character transformation uh, that Iron Man goes through throughout the entire series. Or maybe you don't like Marvel, maybe you're one of those little bit strange persons who likes the DC comics instead. And so maybe your favorite is the dark and brooding Batman or Superman. Uh, or maybe your favorite superhero is female, Black Widow or Captain Marvel, if you like the MCU. And I, you know, some of you might be embarrassed to admit it, but maybe it's Wonder Woman. Uh, some of you here are like, let's throw that all out, you know, I, I like the Lord of the Rings, you know, and uh, maybe all of this is unfamiliar to you, but whatever the case, every culture has its own hero stories. Wherever you grew up, wherever in the world you're from, uh, we all love a good hero, someone who fights for what's right and defeats the bad guys, emerges victorious, and is celebrated for their victory. All cultures, all kids growing up love that. Well, today as we continue our series on the divine design, manhood and womanhood according to scripture, we come to this passage at the end of the book of Proverbs, and we see a powerful poem that shows us a portrait of a true superhero. And so let me read Proverbs 31 to you, and let's look at this hero together. Proverbs 31, verse 10 and following. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable 
Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. O Heavenly Father, would you speak, O Lord? Cause us with our eyes to see our Lord Jesus Christ glorified and form in us to be more like him. In his name we pray, amen. So here in Proverbs 31, we see the portrait of a true superhero. And surprise, surprise, for one thing, it's not a man, it's a woman. And for another thing, no, she's not like Wonder Woman, all geared up and ready to fight. No, this is a different kind of Wonder Woman. Well, the world in its wisdom thinks of Wonder Woman as a picture of heroism and beauty. Here in Proverbs, in God's Word, we are given a picture of the real Wonder Woman. We see heroism, true beauty, and true wisdom here in this woman who fears the Lord. A bride fit for a king. Brothers and sisters, this morning as we continue our series on the divine design, on how, how God has designed manhood and womanhood and shown it to us in Scripture, we're going to look at this compelling portrait of womanhood, a woman who embodies wisdom. You can call her Lady Wisdom. And I want us to be inspired by this portrait of godliness so that we aspire as believers and as a church to be those that reflect the wisdom of God as a bride who is fit for our King, Jesus. And we're going to look at three ways this morning, three ways that this portrait in Proverbs 31 inspires us to recognize and pursue godliness. Three ways that this portrait inspires us to pursue godliness. First, we are given a picture of true heroism to which we must aspire. So first, aspire to true heroism. And by now you're wondering, Pastor Aubrey, you keep talking about superheroes and heroism, uh, but I look at the passage that you just read, I don't see anything about heroes at all. You keep talking about heroism, but all I see here is a regular housewife. Well, what I want to submit to you is that if you take a closer look at the passage, if we read the text carefully, 
you'll see that the author wants us to see heroism right here. This text, this passage, if you hadn't noticed it, the way the versification is laid out in your Bible, is a poem. It's, it's a song. It's poetry. And I want to share with you that it is a repurposed poem, a repurposed song. Now, what do I mean by a repurposed song? Uh, we're all familiar with this. Let me give you some examples. Uh, sometimes you'll find that uh, songwriters will take a song that you're already familiar with and then transform that song to be used for some other purpose. So we're entering the Christmas season and uh, you all might be familiar with the Christmas hymn or carol, What Child Is What? What child is this that laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? That is a repurposed song. Originally, this was not a Christmas carol. It's actually an older tune, and the words were about uh, a young lady with a green dress. It was called Green Sleeves. And then the hymn writer or somebody took this and repurposed it and changed the words around and made it a Christmas carol. In the 20th century, we've also seen the opposite happen, uh, where the famous uh, soul singer, uh, Ray Charles, actually took gospel hymns and then repurposed them, changed all the words, and actually made them bar tunes. Uh, some, if, if, you know, if you're old enough that you used to watch TV back in the day before we had streaming internet video, uh, you might remember TV commercials will often do this. They'll take a song that you're familiar with, they'll change up all the words, and it's repurposed now to advertise a particular product. What we see here in Proverbs 31 is a repurposed song. It's a particular kind of song or poem that's been taken and transformed to speak about something else. And the original form of the poem or song is what you would call war poetry. War poetry. A poem or song that's used to celebrate military accomplishment. All cultures have this kind of poetry or songs. I mean, when I was uh, young growing up, uh, I had to memorize this poem. We learned it in school called The Charge of the Light Brigade. Half a league, half a league, half a league onward into Death's Valley, rode the 600, uh, celebrating the accomplishments of the British Army in the Crimean War in the 19th century, Alfred Lord Tennyson. Every culture has these. And here what the author has done of this poem is that the author has taken a war poem that celebrates military accomplishment and repurposed it to speak of the deeds of godliness of this woman. How do I know that? Where can we see it? Is that there in the text? I want to show you multiple strands of evidence in this passage that point to this fact. First of all, the way that this woman is named or spoken of. Verse 10. Keep the passage open and look at it, look at it with me. Verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. Now the word in the original language there that is translated excellent Actually, it does not refer to just an abstract concept of excellence. No, the word is properly translated valor. So throughout the Old Testament in the original language in Hebrew, this word means valor. And valor is not a word that's common in English today. So let me give you another word that means the same thing. Bravery. Bravery or courage. Valor refers to the courage that results in mighty acts on the battlefield. 
She is a, a woman of valor, a woman of bravery, a woman of courage, a woman of heroism. We see this again in verse 29. The same word is used again at the end of the poem where the husband is speaking to the wife and, and he says this, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Again, the word there translated excellently, it's the same word and it refers to valor or bravery. Many women have done acts of valor. Many women have acted bravely, but you surpass them all. Another strand of evidence is the way this woman is described in terms of her strength. Look at uh, verse 17. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. And in some of your Bibles there, you have a footnote. If you look at the footnote, it'll say, she girds her loins. She girds her loins with strength and makes her arms strong. Now, what does that expression mean? What does it mean to gird your loins with strength? Well, in the ancient world, you might know this, they wore flowing robes, and when men went out to war, when they're on the battlefield, to gird up their loins with strength means they tie up the robes and they get, you know, tightened up and ready to fight. That's what it's speaking of. And the word used for strength over there in verse 17, is not a word that means, you know, some kind of inner strength or something like that. No, this is speaking of military strength. Throughout the Old Testament, again, that word is consistently used to speak of strength in battle. She strengthens her arm. She girds her loins with strength. She is clothed with strength. Again, verse 25, the same word is used again. Verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing. And the word for strength there is a military term. Many more strands of evidence that I could show you. Look at verse 11. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. What does the word gain mean there? Again, throughout the Old Testament, every single time this word is used in the original language, the word gain over there typically refers to the spoils of war. You know, you go defeat the enemy and you plunder what they have and now that's yours. Uh, the reward that you get from military conquest, that's what this word refers to. Her, the heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of plunder or spoil. Verse 15, look at verse 15. She rises while it is yet night. Who rises while it is yet night? Warriors getting ready for war on the battlefield. Or lionesses going out to hunt. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. The word used there for food is not the normal word that is used in the Hebrew language for food. This word is a very specific word that refers to food that is caught by hunting. Prey, P-R-E-Y. So this woman is here in verse 15, described like a lioness who wakes before dawn and goes out to hunt prey and captures prey and brings it back as food. Verse 19, she puts her hands to the distaff. It's talking about her gripping the spindle and the language that is used there, she puts her hand, that, that expression is the same expression that is used everywhere in the Old Testament to refer to stretching out your hand with a sword. You could say she attacks the distaff, grabs hold of the spindle. Verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household. Again, the 
expression, the phrase, she looks well. This could be translated differently. The, the verbiage that is used there is often and always used for keeping watch. She keeps watch over the ways of her household. She guards the ways of her household. And so throughout the poem, you're seeing again and again language that would normally refer to military acts on the battlefield being used, being transformed to speak of the godly deeds of this woman. If you're not yet convinced, you need to think about who is writing this poem and who it is being written for. You see that in verse 1, verses 1 and 2. Right? The poem has been written, it tells us who wrote this, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. So this poem was composed by King Lemuel's mom. And it was written for her son, King Lemuel. Written for a young boy, a prince, who is being prepared for kingship. And here's what King Lemuel's mom is teaching her son. Young man, you want to know what true heroism is, right? Young boys like to think about being superheroes, being out there on the battlefield, winning big, mighty victories in war. And she says, you want to know what a true hero is, young man? It's a godly woman. Verses 10 and following. Instead of praising military accomplishments, she's taken that form of poetry to praise the accomplishments in everyday life of the woman who fears the Lord. And this woman is a hero in the truest sense. You know, we've been going through this series on the divine design of manhood and womanhood and how God creates men and women. You heard a great sermon from Pastor Wiley last week. God creates men and women similar yet different, both created in God's image for God's purposes, equal in essence and value before God, yet different in role. The woman has been created as a helper fit for the man. And what we saw in Genesis is what you see here, is this woman is the perfect fit, a helper suitable for her husband. Verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her. Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Here you are seeing the divine design of woman in its most ideal form. In this woman who is nurturing and, and life-giving to all around her. Who is flourishing in God's design for her. And to every young king who is growing up, who desires to grow up and be a hero. To every young man who desires to grow up and, and, and be some kind of a hero. This poem speaks loudly and clearly saying, a woman who lives a wise life in the fear of the Lord, is as worthy of praise as a mighty man in battle. Let me say that again. A woman who lives a wise life in the fear of the Lord is as worthy of praise and honor as a mighty man in battle, as any superhero you can think of. And you know, uh, our minds are just trained to think the opposite way, right? We are trained, no matter what culture you're from, you, we're trained to think of heroes or bravery in terms of great power, 
great and mighty deeds, major world leaders, big, huge accomplishments. Even spiritually, as Christians, we tend to fall into this trap. We tend to think of heroes of the faith as those who are doing big things, right? The guy who speaks or preaches at big conferences, uh, the one who's some kind of a major evangelical leader, or, or someone who, you know, went to the darkest, deepest, darkest mission field and died there. And Yes, we rightly laud some of those things. But God's wisdom also speaks to us another way of other kinds of heroes. Those who live lives of ordinary faithfulness. You know, in the film rendition of J.R.R. Tolkien's great book, The Hobbit, uh, there's a character named Gandalf. And Gandalf uh, speaks here some real biblical wisdom that I think J.R.R. Tolkien put into his mouth. He says this, I quote, Some believe that it is only great power that can hold evil in check. But that is not what I have found. I've found it is the small everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keeps the darkness at bay. Small acts of kindness and love. That's what this lovely lady in Proverbs 31 is all about. The everyday deeds of an ordinary woman. Everyday deeds of kindness and love. Working hard. Getting up early. Verse 15. Going to bed late. Verse 18. Her lamp does not go out at night. Making sure her household is well fed. Verses 14 and 15. She has the right clothes For every season, verse 13, verse 18, no need to worry about getting cold in winter. She takes good care of her children and of her maids, verse 15. And she takes good care of the poor and needy, verse 20. She is fantastic. Maybe this is intimidating to some of the women here. But it's not intended to be intimidating. No, it's intended to give us a model of godliness and faithfulness to aspire towards. This is an ideal that is intended to inspire us. It's meant to remind us that true godliness involves just keeping on being faithful in the little things every day. And, And I want to speak to the men and young men Just in case you think this passage was just for women, I want to say to you, no, it's written for us too. Women, godly women who fear the Lord are an example for men as well. And I think of the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon, who preached to tens of thousands of people in England in the 19th century. Spurgeon says that the greatest mentor he ever had was a a woman named Mary King, who was the cook in the school that he went to. He learned godliness and theology from her, and he says he learned more from her than six doctors of divinity could teach him. So I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, how about you? Do you feel like the things that you do, the everyday, ordinary, mundane things, are insignificant? I think of many moms here this morning who might be tired, just tired of, 
you know, the everyday grind, day after day, week after week. I want to encourage you to keep on. Just keep on. Keep on being faithful. Be faithful in the mundane. Press on, sisters. Or maybe this text is speaking to you a different way this morning. Maybe you're one of those here who aspires to do great things for God. Now, lots of people want to do great things for God, but they don't like to do little things for God. Some men want to change the whole world, but they won't change a dirty diaper. Some people want to lead a ministry, but they won't live as just a faithful member of the local church, knowing others, loving and serving others, growing under God's word, praying through the membership directory. Brothers and sisters, this passage calls us to seek to live as faithful believers, seek God's grace to be faithful in little things that bring him much glory. And to be thankful for those around us who seem insignificant but bring glory to God by their ordinary faithfulness. You know, I'll never forget uh, a few years ago when we first put out the members' prayer directory and we were at a members' meeting and I was trying to do these book giveaways. And I said, you know, who's, who's prayed through this entire directory on a monthly basis? Uh, I have some books to give away. And I remember three sisters stood up. Connie Cass, Naomi Marrero, and Patty Kosick. Just inconspicuous, humble, quiet, godly sisters who've been praying for you, ECC, by name, every day, month after month. You know, sometimes I wonder in the eternal scheme of things, more, far more would be shown to have been accomplished by that faithfulness than by all the other big and fancy things that we do. So this powerful poem in Proverbs gives us a portrait of true heroism to which we must aspire. Second, this text gives us a picture of true beauty that we must appreciate. So that's the second call this morning. Appreciate true beauty. You know, if you read the book of Proverbs from start to finish, you'll notice again and again that this book issues warnings against the forbidden woman, what we call the shady lady, the adulteress with her seductive speech who leads and seduces a young man who is, you know, young and naive and leads him with sexual temptation and devours him. You, you'll see this in Proverbs chapter 5 and Proverbs chapter 7. You'll see a portrait of this adulteress, the evil lady who promises you heaven and takes you to hell. You see, the book of Proverbs is a parenting manual. It's God's book for parents. Parents, you want to find a good book on parenting? Read Proverbs and read it to your kids. It's God's wisdom for parents to pass on to their children. As you open the book and you keep reading, you'll see again and again the father speaking to his son. My son, listen to my instruction. My son, listen to the words of your father and mother. Even this poem here is the words of King Lemuel's mother given to him. It's parenting. And, and here Lemuel's mom is telling Lemuel what true beauty and biblical womanhood consists in. Look at verse 30. This is the climax. This is the climactic verse of the poem. Verse 30. 
Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Charm is deceitful. It's fleeting. It's temporary. Beauty is vain. It's external. It will fade away. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. You see, in the ancient world, in the ancient Near East, the context in which this poem was composed and written, in the surrounding literature around Israel, you find some things written about women. And in that context, in that world, in the ancient world, anything that spoke about women only spoke about their physical beauty. In the ancient world, if there was any value attached to a woman, it was simply for physical beauty and sex appeal. And that's it. God's wisdom and God's word is so different. It elevates the status of women from being merely physical objects to being those who carry the divine image. In the surrounding culture, all they saw was sex appeal. Nothing else mattered. You know, and sadly, nothing much has changed in 3,000 years in the world around us, has it? I could speak to you about the cosmetic industry, which so emphasizes physical appearance. We could speak about the plastic surgery industry, where women are constantly injecting things into their faces to make themselves look younger. But I want to speak this morning about a different industry. In 2013, the Huffington Post published an article entitled, The Internet is for Porn. They provided, provided little-known stats at the time on what they called the world's pornography apocalypse. Friends, the greatest pandemic afflicting our world today is not COVID-19. It's the pandemic of pornography. Porn websites have an estimated 450 million unique visitors every month. That's more than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter all put together. And that figure, by the way, is 1,200% increase from 10 years ago. Pornography in the USA alone generates an estimated income of between 5 to 13 billion, billion dollars. And get this, 30%, that's one-third, one-third, 30% of all data transmitted on the internet is pornography. The wicked woman of Proverbs 5, Proverbs 7 is no longer just out on the streets. She's now in your pocket, on your device, calling to you, promising to make your dreams come true. And, and our world, our world is so riddled with contradictions, isn't it? Just caught between two extremes at once. On the one hand, the world shouts out loud, women's rights, women's empowerment. They say that from one side of their mouths, while on the other side of their mouths, they objectify women as objects of mere lust, just to satisfy lust. Even so-called Wonder Woman shows this irony. She's supposed to be a symbol of women's power and women's rights. And yet, ironically, Wonder Woman is designed in every way to be visually appealing to young men. Fighting for what's right in satin tights. 
And in the midst of all this, in the midst of this crazy, confused culture, which speaks of women's rights and yet demeans and objectifies women, the wisdom of Proverbs, the word of God, King Lemuel, Lemuel's mom, calls out to us and gives us a better picture of beauty, a better picture of womanhood. True beauty is found in fearing the Lord and living a life that displays it. While the world values what is external, what is deceptive, what is fading, God's word values what is internal, what is true and unfading. So I want to speak this morning, first and foremost, to brothers in this congregation, especially those of you who are married. Brothers, are you training your heart and your eyes to desire and appreciate true beauty? Some of you men may need to go home today and sit down with your wives and confess and repent for your obsession with what is merely external. Some of you men may need to find, after the service, may need to go to a trusted brother or speak to an elder and confess sexual sin and pornography addiction. Brothers, there is freedom in Christ. There's freedom in Christ from lust and sexual sin. Some of you young men, I want to speak to the younger men, I want to speak to the boys, teenage boys. You need to learn from this text what true beauty is and what to seek after in a wife. I want to encourage the young men, read this passage over and over again. Memorize it. Meditate on it until it becomes sweet to your soul. And, and set your heart upon finding this kind of a woman for your wife. You know, I had a friend, uh, I remember he, he, he found this girl in the church and he wanted to marry her and he went uh, to her dad to ask her hand in marriage and he said, uh, Sir, I believe your daughter is a Proverbs 31 woman and I want to marry her. Amen. I, I want to speak to the women here. Sisters, may this passage encourage you to recognize where your value lies. Not merely in external appearance or great physical beauty. All of those things will fade and disappear. We all grow old and wither and die. No, instead, seek to cultivate the fear of the Lord, that which is imperishable and will never fade. I want to speak to the parents this morning. Dear parents, consider how you can teach your children about true beauty. You need to talk to them. Talk to them. Teach them about sex. If they don't hear it from you, they're going to hear it from someone else and it may not be good what they hear. You need to teach them. You need to instruct them. They need to know from you the difference between Lady Wisdom and Lady Gaga. <laughs> Friends, true beauty... True beauty, true beauty is a matter of the heart. It's found in the fear of the Lord. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she is to be praised. And brothers and sisters, the fear of the Lord is crucial. The fear of the Lord is vital. Throughout Proverbs, and as you read the whole Bible, you'll see 
that the heart of wisdom is found in fearing the Lord. And that's the third and central aspect of this poem. First, we've seen a portrait of true a portrait of true heroism to which we must aspire. We see a picture of true beauty which we must appreciate. And third, we see a life of true wisdom which we must embody. So that's our third instruction. Embody true wisdom. You know, this poem in English alone is so beautiful and compelling. But in the original language in Hebrew, it's an absolute masterpiece. Every line of the poem, if you were to read this in the original language, you'll see there are 22 lines, 22 verses, and every verse, every line begins with the successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet, all right? We have some songs like this in English, you know, maybe you've sung this to your kids, right? When they're really little, you sing, A, you're adorable, B, you're so beautiful, C, you're a cutie full of charms. Maybe you didn't sing that, I sang it, but... That's how this poem is written. Every letter of the alphabet is included from A to Z, right, in Hebrew, and every successive line. What's the purpose of writing a poem like that? Well, first of all, it makes it easy to memorize, right? This is written, King Lemuel's mom has composed this for her son to memorize, to take to heart, to know what a godly woman is like. But also, the author is telling us that this lady is the complete picture. She's all that. She's everything from A to Z. And you read the whole book of Proverbs from start to finish, and you see all of God's wisdom laid out for his people. And here you're seeing the illustration of that wisdom embodied in the life of this woman who fears the Lord. This is it. This is all of God's wisdom summed up and enfleshed and put before your eyes in this godly woman. It sums up everything that Proverbs has taught, all the wisdom in the entire book in this woman's life. In fact, if you read this carefully, the terms with which this poem speaks of a woman, of this woman, are compelling and powerful, are unique. Look at verse 10. She is far more precious than jewels. You know what else in the book of Proverbs is called far more precious than jewels? God's own wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 15, God's wisdom is said to be more precious than jewels. Again, in Proverbs 8, verse 11, it tells us to seek after the wisdom of God because His wisdom is far more precious than jewels. And here, this woman who embodies that wisdom is called far more precious than jewels. In verse 11, you see something remarkable. Verse 11, it says, the heart of her husband trusts in her. You know, if you read the Old Testament carefully, you'll see again and again, God's word warns against trusting in anything or anyone other than the Lord alone. Anywhere in the Old Testament, if someone trusts in something other than the Lord, it's a negative, it's bad, it's sin. This is the one place in the entire Old Testament where someone can trust in something other than God himself and it's positive and it's good because this woman embodies God's wisdom. This is the one place it's good to trust someone other than God, a godly woman who fears the Lord. Her life epitomizes and portrays God's own wisdom in the flesh. 
Throughout the book of Proverbs, you see wisdom explained. Here we see wisdom illustrated. Why? Why is she so wise and lives so wisely? Because she fears the Lord. And friends, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, all of us, this is the kind of life we are called to live. This woman is not just a model for women to aspire to. Her godliness is a model of godliness that all of us should aspire to. Wisdom is calling to us. Wisdom is inviting us. Wisdom is wooing us to pursue and embody such a life. And the question is, where is this wisdom to be found? Where can I find, where can you and I find and embrace this kind of wisdom? You know, that's a question that has vexed human beings throughout history. Throughout history, people on earth have presumed to speak for God, to speak that they have great, found great wisdom, great philosophers like Aristotle or Socrates or Plato, all of them presuming to speak wise words. We ascribe wisdom to great world leaders like Mandela or Gandhi or whomever and speak of their embodiment of wisdom. But no, the word of God, the scriptures, God's own word, picks that and turns it on its head. Who speaks for God? Who displays God's wisdom? It's ordinary, everyday folks. Godly sisters who fear the Lord. Who shall speak for God? Not Aristotle or Plato. No, it's Sister Juline and Sister Megan and Graciela and Blanca and Cameron Zamora, Lynn Altemeyer, Betsy Matthews, Catherine Erpen, sisters who live their life in the fear of the Lord. And you know what the result of this fear of the Lord and this life of wisdom is? Look at verse 25. She laughs at the time to come. She laughs at the time to come. She has no fear of what lies ahead. And when it's speaking of her joy in the time to come, of her lack of fear of what's ahead, it's not just speaking of, you know, the future in general terms. It's not just saying, oh, she has no fear of the future or no fear of tomorrow. No, when the author is using this phrase, the time to come. That phrase is used in the book of Proverbs consistently, not just to refer to the future in this life, but to speak of the afterlife. You see, there is a time to come, the day of judgment, when God will bring history to an end, when Jesus will come back and this time will end. And we will stand before the Lord God Almighty as our righteous judge. And we will have to give an answer for the life that we have lived on earth. This woman has no fear of that day. This woman has no fear of judgment. Because she fears the Lord. Her fear is in the right place. And maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering... How is it possible to become wise like this? How do we learn to live such a life? How do we learn to fear the Lord like this? Maybe you're here and you genuinely live with the fear of the future. You're anxious for tomorrow. You don't know what's coming next. You live with the fear of death 
constantly in your heart and you try to suppress it. But you know that day is coming when you will stand before God, your judge. How do you escape from that fear? How do you find true wisdom? How do you find the fear of the Lord? Well, God's word shows us how. Because you see, Proverbs 31, this woman, yes, she gives us a glorious picture of godly womanhood. Yes, she gives us a compelling portrait of a woman who fears the Lord. But it's not just about godly womanhood. No, you've got to think about who she is, right? Like I mentioned, she's a bride who is fit for a king. The whole of chapter 31 is about kingship. King Lemuel's mom is talking to him. Verses 1 to 9, she tells him how the king should behave, how he should rule. And verses 10 to 31, she's talking to him about the king's bride. And you see, this picture of the king and his bride in the Old Testament is a preview. It's telling a story, pointing forward to a greater king and his bride. In fact, that's why God creates male and female. That's the purpose of the divine design. This is why God creates man and woman in his image. This is why he writes marriage into history and into the scripture. Because marriage itself, male and female itself, and especially the king and the bride, is meant to point forward, to tell the story of a greater king, the son of God himself, a king who would die to save his bride. You see, all of us, we come into this world, we're not like this woman. We come into this world not embodying wisdom and godliness. We come into this world embodying foolishness. Our hearts constantly straying from God. We come into this world not fearing the Lord, but living in rebellion against the Lord. That's how we are by nature and by choice. And yet God is merciful. You know, if we were to speak of ourselves as a woman in Proverbs, we wouldn't fit by nature this woman. All of us would actually be like the evil woman. All of us before God in our sin have committed spiritual adultery. We're more like a spiritual prostitute than a woman of worth. And yet God in his love and mercy has sent his own son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great king who dies to save us, who takes the harlot, the prostitute, and washes us clean. We come to him in our filthy rags and by his blood he cleanses us and makes us, as a people, his pure and spotless bride. In him, in Jesus, we find wisdom. In Jesus, we have new hearts that truly fear the Lord. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know him, dear friend, I'm speaking to you and I want to invite you, I want to call you to turn away from your sin and to flee to Jesus, to flee to Christ who will cleanse you from your sin and make you a part of his people, his holy, spotless, blameless bride. One last thing about this woman of valor. Look at verse 31, uh, chapter, uh, verse 23 there of chapter 31. 
And I want to speak to us as a church as we look at this. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. In the Hebrew poem, and actually you can see it in English itself, there are equal number of verses on either side, making this the center verse of the poem. This is right at the center. Her husband is known in the gates. Her beauty, her wisdom, her godliness is so compelling that it makes her husband honored. And friends, if we, the church, are the bride of Christ, the question for us is, are we making him honored? Are we making his name known? Are we living such lives of love and service and wisdom that the world looks at the church and says, wow, what a God they serve. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this glorious and compelling picture of a woman who fears you. May your spirit work in our hearts to make us all embody wisdom like this in our lives. May the world take notice and come to know Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.